Uh, good morning and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in God's presence, coming to respond to who God is and God's goodness to us. And so uh, I want to welcome you all and also welcome those who are joining us online and, and glad that God by his spirit can unite us as a people coming to respond to his call. And so as we begin our time, just want to highlight a few announcements. Uh, if you look at your order of worship you know, on the inside cover, there's some information about the service and about children's uh, and youth classes today. And then also all the way in the back, the last couple pages are announcements. And so uh, one note about the announcements is that um, the mission class, it's a two-week mission class, and part two of two is this Tuesday. And we talked about the, the Gospel of John and its call for us to, to be part of God's work in the world. And so one note that we're going to meet at 7.30 in the community space instead of 8. So uh, come, if you came last time, come again. If you haven't come, you're still welcome to come. Yeah, it's, they don't, it's not required that you came to the first session, but it's at 7.30 Tuesday night at the community space. Uh, one other note, the middle school class has been going outside <laughs> for their classes the last uh, few times, and we're not going to uh, do that today. They're going to uh, go with Pastor Eric, uh, find a spot down in the, the basement. It's not too dirty or anything. No, it's in the kitchen area down there, so, uh, so junior high will stay inside and go down uh, with him. So mentioning that, um, the kids that are going to go to the preschool class or children's worship, the third through fifth grade class, or junior high, all, all of you can be dismissed at this time. Um, and go to the back to the basement classrooms or over to the to my left to meet Pastor Eric for the older classes. Well, let's take a moment now of quiet as we prepare ourselves to come and before God and respond in worship. morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 25. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. Turn to me, be gracious. I am lonely and afflicted. Bring Lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Make me to know your ways, O oh Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Turn to me, be gracious. 
remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. pray together. Almighty God, you have shown us your power. Father, in your grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, and voices to sing your praise. And fill us with your spirit that we may celebrate your glory and worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Meet us in whatever ways we find ourselves along this path this morning. Father, meet those of us who feel full and vibrant. May we persist in the strength that you provide. And may your love, may, may you, Lord, 
use our, our, our resources, our gifts, even our weaknesses to, to participate in your mission, in your kingdom work. Father, we pray um, you would also meet those of us who may be wrestling with questions of faith, meet those of us who are troubled with grief and sadness, meet those of us who endure the ways our relationships are shaken in need of repair and restoration. Meet those of us who are worn down, who are lonely and filled with worry. Father, meet us in these full places and in these difficult spaces with your strength, with your love and tenderness, with your words of invitation, calling us home to find our rest in you. God, we know that you are the Lord, the true King who is reigning, who is praying for all of us right now. And may we receive and believe your grace and be changed by it. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time to acknowledge with God our sin and turn to him for his mercy and his grace. We'll do this together as a church and then have uh, a song of meditation with a quiet then time of confession. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Father, we long for wisdom, but prefer that it be our own. We often spend our time tending to our outward appearances and reputations, while you, O oh Lord, are concerned with our inward thoughts and desires. Forgive us. Amen. to me.
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we confess our sin, and Lord, we cling, we, we run to those words in your word that tell us, God, that you made him who had no sin to be sin for our sake so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Father, we, we give thanks for your grace, for your mercy, in the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand together to hear and join together in this, the words of assurance from Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. You may be seated. The Old Testament lesson is from Proverbs 8, 1 through 11. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man, O oh, simple ones, learn prudence. O oh, oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come truth, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The New Testament lesson is from Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive of philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lucy, for reading scriptures for us. We're going to continue looking at the Gospels uh, of John, uh, chapters 13 through 17, series that we've been doing this fall. And just uh, as a reminder that this is Jesus stepping out of the public eye, gathering his disciples, his friends, uh, for a time of final instruction and final prayer before he is betrayed and arrested and killed. And, And our hope is that through these words of Jesus, we can think again about the nature and mission of his church. And so, so far we've looked at chapters 13, 14, and 15, and before we begin chapter 16 today, I thought it'd be good to go back and and mention the image that we started the series with. Uh, Scholar N.T. Wright describes the Gospel of John as a pool of water. If you picture a pool of water, and he says that this pool is safe enough for a small child to kind of wade in and paddle and splash around, but the pool is also deep enough for an elephant to swim in, for an elephant to swim in. The gospel in this section in particular is accessible and welcoming, but also deep and mysterious. And it seems in our passage that I'm going to read that Jesus is pointing especially to that deep end in these verses. He says, I I didn't tell you these things from the beginning. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There is a depth and mystery to our union with Jesus and an invitation for us to find rest and direction in the spirit that he gives. So let's look at this passage. This is from John 16, uh, verse 4b through 15. You can follow in your order or your Bible or, or just listen as I read. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, 
and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Well, this is God's word. It's given for our good. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. This has been a theme of these chapters. A, a change is about to happen, a significant change, and it's bringing worry and sorrow for the disciples. But Jesus offers encouragement. I'm going away, returning to the Father, but it's to your advantage because it means the coming of the Holy Spirit who here Jesus calls the helper, the one who comes alongside, the one who walks with us. And as we look at our passage, I want us to see that the Spirit's ministry, Jesus describes the Spirit's ministry in two ways. The Spirit gives witness, and the Spirit brings conviction. The Spirit gives witness, and it brings conviction. So let's start with a giving witness. Through our passage, Jesus describes three actions of the Spirit that speak about this ministry of giving witness to what is true. He says the helper will come, will come to you, the Spirit will guide you, guide you, and the Spirit will glorify me. So the Helper will come. He will come and draw near to us to comfort us and to provide the disciples, those who follow Christ, with resources to live in a new way. Also, this coming near, this drawing close, is a way for the church to change and grow Think from beyond what the disciples could have possibly imagined. What Jesus is inviting us to, to think about is that the, his people, the church, will not be localized in one place. Not in one room, even one city. But by the Spirit coming and dwelling in the midst of different people and different cultures and different places, the kingdom of God will spread throughout the world. The helper will come. And the helper comes, it will come as the spirit of truth to guide us in all truth. And here we're reminded of the ministry of the spirit, which was to inspire the apostles and other writers of the scriptures to illuminate us as we read the scriptures, to give us discernment as we seek God's leading in our life. And this work of truth, this ultimately points to the supreme work of the spirit, which is to glorify Jesus. We see Jesus makes a point. The Spirit doesn't come on its own or speak on its own. Just as Jesus speaks the words of the Father, the Spirit speaks the message of the incarnate word, the truth embodied. And Jesus repeats that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, the Spirit's role is to impress upon us, to help us know in our hearts and to remember who Christ is to lift up Christ and glorify him in his work 
and what that means for our lives to ultimately lead us to worship Christ and to find our rest and identity and calling in Christ. So we can ask, how, how do these three actions, this coming and guiding, glorifying, how do they come together? There's, there's many things we could talk about, but the thing I want us to, to reflect on this morning is that the Spirit's witness stresses the continuity between Jesus and the church. It stresses the continuity between Jesus and us as followers of Christ. You see, Jesus continues his earthly ministry, even after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Jesus continues his earthly ministry by his spirit through his people. The spirit draws near. It guides us in truth. It works in us that we may be part of glorifying Christ in this world, representing him in his grace and truth. I was thinking about examples of this or how to think about this, and one of the things that came to my mind around this idea of continuity between Jesus and his church is the role of a deacon, the role of deacons. I'm very thankful for the deacons who are serving now and who have served in the past at our church and the way that they've led us in generosity and service. The Book of Church Order, which I'm sure all of you have you know, read many times, but the Presbyterian Book of Church Order describes the role of a deacon as one of sympathy and service. And we know that sympathy and service are wonderful things, but the description actually even goes further. It, it tightens it. It says the role of the deacon is sympathy and service after the example of our Lord Jesus. And I thought here is a picture of the continuity of the work of the Spirit that we are people, in this case specifically deacons, but all of us called to follow after the example of Jesus. How did Jesus show sympathy and service? How did he live and what things mattered to him? What things did he say were true? You see, the Spirit's offered for us to ask in our individual lives or in the church, are we walking in the example of our Lord Jesus, seeing our lives as a continuation by the spirit of his earthly ministry. The spirit gives witness to this truth and calling. But Jesus also says that the spirit was sent to convict. To convict. For when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the themes of the Psalms and one of the wonders of it being in God's word is that it has consistently people crying out to God, crying out in anger, crying out in pain and lament, crying out in sorrow and loss, confusion. But one of the themes of crying out is this longing for justice, longing to be heard and seen. Arise, O Lord, hear my cause. O God, the creator of heaven and earth, judge and make things right. Vindicate and defend me. Think for a moment about this longing, the longing and, and oftentimes challenge of getting someone to hear you, 
to consider your case, longing to pay attention, especially one who might be in charge in some way or one who is able to help or make things different. We could probably think of numerous examples in our own life or things that we've seen. Maybe we've had experience like this in a school setting, longing for your children to get attention that he or she needs. Or maybe in medical care, seeking the care that you need or trying to understand what's available. Or we can think about insurance or maybe in your workplace with a boss, but, or even just in your family, longing to be seen and heard that someone would pay attention to my case. Well, the cry is underpinning the psalm's cry is this deep belief that our God, the world's creator, not only sees, but is a God of justice who identifies as the one who sees and who is concerned for the poor and the weak, the ignored and the forgotten. And scripture invites us to picture many times this kind of scene of a courtroom with a judge to decide between two parties, to vindicate or uphold one and condemn the other. And in these scriptural scenes, sometimes it's Israel and God's people that is condemned or accused as those who haven't followed God's ways. But there are other times, especially we see in the Psalms, where God acts on behalf of his people to speak judgment, to speak judgment against the nations and the powers those who act with wickedness or arrogance. And I share that image of the Psalms and of the courtroom because if we can picture that or we can feel that intense longing to be heard, it is the framework that Jesus speaks about the spirit convicting. The helper will come to convict. Take heart, he's saying, as an advocate, the spirit will expose, it will refute, it will convict the world that it is wrong concerning sin, about what it means to live in light of God and God's laws, or what it means to fall short. The Spirit will come to convict the world concerning righteousness, about what is truly good and what is just, and what God has intended for us. And the Spirit will come to convict the world concerning judgment, that who or what is ultimately proven right, the right way, Well, if you're with me in the following this idea, this image of the courtroom, we might imagine that the world presents its argument. What would the world say? I am on my own. I am my own. I belong to myself. Therefore, I set my own ways Decide for me what is best. We know that defense, and we know it even in our own hearts at times. And what Jesus is saying is that the Spirit's job, one of the things it will do is testify that this is wrong and foolish and not true. And the evidence is that Jesus, the one rejected by the world, is the very one lifted by God. Jesus, the one rejected and dismissed as a criminal and a fool, is the very one lifted up as the righteous one of God. Here is true life. If we want to know what is true and good, 
then look to this one. And because the world has rejected him, we know the world doesn't really know what is right and good. Therefore, do not listen to your own hearts, but the Spirit lifts us to look at Christ, the one who is above all. You see, Jesus, the true light of life, tells us that sin is not just about breaking some rules or not keeping certain religious observances, but it's a fundamental turning to ourselves. A turning to ourselves, that means turning away from God or turning away from our neighbors or others. Chasing after false hopes. And if we're honest in such a courtroom, we know that this is true. How often do we regularly pursue self-destructive experiences or goals? How quick can we be to justify ourselves while also being uniquely capable of destroying or debasing ourselves? And if we cannot find life in ourselves or we cannot depend on someone else giving it to us, then what remains? And the Spirit's conviction, its testimony is that Jesus is the risen and righteous one. The Heidelberg Catechism is something that was created many, many years ago for the church to grow and learn in the truth of God's word. And if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to, to look it up or ask me, and I'm happy to give you this catechism. But one of the reasons it's been well known is because it doesn't begin with the question, do you believe? Are you a Christian? It doesn't begin by asking, do you have faith or what is your chief purpose? But it opens with a deeply personal question, one that I'm sure we can all relate to. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your comfort? The catechism answers by the beginning of its first answer is that I am not my own. I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the powers that would seek to claim me. The Spirit's job, Jesus says, it's to our advantage because it comes to give witness and to convict us that such things are true. Life is found not by saying, I belong to myself or I'm on my own, but that starts by saying, I belong not to myself, but to my faithful Savior. I pray that the Spirit would comfort us with this. It would challenge us with this. It would invite us to think differently about our relationships, our decisions, our life in front of us. That we look at the one who was rejected but lifted up as the full embodiment of God. Let us go forth as his church, not controlling people or getting people simply to agree with us, but as a church that points to Jesus, that he may be glorified and that we might find life in him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and we, we pray that you would meet us here and minister to us by your word. We do thank you for the spirit that we are not just on our own or left abandoned, but that you are here to comfort us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to convict us. And we pray, Lord, that we may see Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us, please, and we'll sing together. <laughs> Thank you.
Eternal God, we praise you for your everlasting goodness toward your people. For what do we have that is not a gift from you? And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of our
Well, having heard God's word, and uh, now we're invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. This table with the bread and, and the, the cup reminds us that God is our creator. And as, we, as I just read, that God is the giver of all good gifts. What do we have that has not been given to us? But the bread broken and the, the wine poured out, these remind us that God is not only our creator, but he is our recreator, our redeemer. Inviting us to come who are hungry and weary and in need of help. So all of us who are exhausted or covered in shame or feel the weight of sorrow and grief or don't know what to do with what's before us, this table is for us. For God is not only your creator, but the one who draws near into our darkness, into our struggles, into our tears, into our weariness, calling us his children and promising to meet us in our hunger and thirst. So if you know of your need and have put your faith in Christ, then come eat and drink of this table that we might find rest in the ministry Christ and his spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. We pray you set apart this bread and cup for a holy purpose. And I pray that your spirit would minister to us today. That we again would not be on our own or have our heads dropped, but that you would lift our heads by your grace and steadfast love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we participate in communion by using these prepackaged elements. And so if you are planning on participating, I invite you to go ahead and open those. Does anybody need one from Rob? Thank you, Rob. Anyone else? Well, on the night that he was betrayed after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way after cupper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, let's stand together that we can pray and that we can sing as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, you have promised to make all things new. As we head into this new week, allow us to look back to see the places in the past where your promises have upheld us. And help us now to look forward to the future with hope as we proclaim the mystery of faith.
You may be seated. Well, you see in your order that I'm going to give a, a, a brief update. Don't worry, it's not a second sermon. <laughs> yeah, maybe, we'll see. Um, but you note that there is a congregational meeting. It's going to be online on Wednesday, November 3rd, and we have normally done this in the fall just to check in. And this is a normal time for me to encourage you in your engagement with the church, to ask you to you know, pray for the church, and to in- remind you of the importance of regular and generous giving to the church. And so I want to do that, but I, I thought it would also be good to take a couple minutes just to help set some a framework as I think about this and a chance for us to think, too, about, about what's who we are as a church. And this fall marked 12 years uh, for LSPC. And as you know, I don't need to remind you, the last year and a half in particular have been especially unusual and challenging, brought up all sorts of difficulties for us as a church, but also for families and individuals. And some of those challenges have passed, and some continue with no clear timeline. And it's in the face of these circumstances that I've been thinking in particular the importance of remembering our purpose, uh, the question of why. Why are we here? And it's good to remember that LSBC was born out of a question, the question being, how can we better love and serve our city? How can we better love and serve Chicago? And one of the conclusions that came out was that we should plant church communities, communities that identify with their neighborhoods or their area of the city, that worship Christ and rest in his gospel, and that by the Spirit of God use their resources to love one another and serve their neighbors. And the reason I want to mention that is because if you're like me, that in challenging times or winter times that feel, can feel overwhelming, it can be easy to forget our purpose. To forget such an expansive and hopeful vision for the church or for our lives. And if you're like me, you know, we can start thinking about life not as community, but it's just me. I'm on my own. We can start thinking about our purpose as just to exist or survive another day, another year. Start thinking about church activities as something that we should have to do because we've always done them or we have to fill up the activity page, (laughs) the announcement page somehow, right? Or we can start thinking about giving as just, you know, the church needing to pay its bills. And as we think about a congregational meeting and again about our our needs as a church, I, I want us to think again about our purpose, And to raise high the banner of Christ, as scripture says, that under this banner, under this tent, we can see our circumstances and activities. And in in light of that, in this banner of Christ and his gospel, we can remember that we belong to God. And that God made us to live in union with him. And with one another. That we can trust God that he can meet us even in difficulties and miraculously use those difficulties to strengthen our faith or teach us about steadfastness or to help us identify what matters. Under that banner, we can think about giving, not just as something you have to do, but it's a chance again to remember the generosity of God and to reset our hearts that security is not about accumulation of things, but it's about living in the generosity and faith of God. Under that banner, we can begin to think about worship as a place that meets us in our loneliness and our exhaustion, that God invites us to actually come and to be together 
with one another and to see God and to know that we are not on our own, to rest in his grace. And under that banner, we can think about activities and ministries, not just as something that has to get done because they were done before, but as a chance to participate in the kingdom of God together. So that's my hope for myself and for all of us as we think about these different things going on in the life of the church and what's ahead of us. I'm very thankful for LSPC and thankful for this community. And I hope and pray that we can remember that we are a community gathered by Christ and his grace, calling us to love one another and to serve our neighbors as we represent him. Amen. So thank you for listening to that, and I hope that you can join us on the 3rd of November for the congregational meeting. If you have questions, you can talk to me uh, after the service. I invite you now to stand that we can sing our doxology and close with a benediction. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy now God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. You may go in peace. Mm -hmm.